This is a podcast on the origins of the American Revolution, sometimes referred to as the origins of American independence. Why did the 13 colonies on the eastern seaboard of North America that were part of the British Empire for um, most of the um, 18th and 17th centuries decide that their interests would be better served as a collective independent nation in 1776. By now you should have completed the America at Mid-Century reading and quiz in Chapter 1 of the American Revolution online book. Were there any underlying problems for the Americans at mid-century? At the end of the Seven Years' War between the British Empire and the French, some colonists hoped to take advantage of the new territories in the western part of the continent ceded to Britain by France. This would relieve some of the pressures on pre-existing colonies with the population of the um, American colonies ever increasing due to immigration. Fearing potential conflict with Native American tribes in the interior of the country, Britain forbade Americans and American colonies from westward expansion, much to the annoyance of colonists. The colonies of Virginia and Maryland produced immense quantities of tobacco in return for exporting this product to Britain. The colonies did receive British manufactured goods. This was a better deal for the British than it was the Americans. So this arguably could be a second reason for some um, evidence of tension between the colonies and the motherland. New York port disembarked British consumer goods that were very popular amongst colonial elites. And in the 1760s in New England alone, over £400,000 was spent annually bringing British manufactured um, products to the New England colonies. The 13 um, colonies collectively purchased £2 million worth of British goods um, annually in the 1760s. So a good deal here again for the British. The feeling among colonial merchants was that they were constrained by the British Navigation Acts which forced the colonists to sell all of their produce to Britain directly and this did result in the illicit smuggling of goods from European countries without British knowledge into the colonies. So if the Americans felt that they didn't want to go through the um, legal channels that the Navigation Acts demanded they would basically try and um, circumvent this by um, trading illegally. This would obviously save them money and they could make more profit from directly trading with um, a European country. So, uh, the expo- exportation of goods from um, the colonies to places like France or the Netherlands would cut out the British middleman and that therefore could have led to higher profits when it came to trading things like tobacco, which the British took from the colonies and eventually sold on to the French or Dutch anyway. 
The British issued a number of laws, this is a third factor that may have caused tension, um, the British issued a number of laws that restricted the trade of American-produced goods. Uh, and this can be seen in the Woolen Act of 1699, the Hat Act of 1732, and the Iron Act of 1750. Because of the trading relationships between Britain and the colonies, the most populous places in the colonies were the seaports, where merchants where um, dock workers, where artisans, where tavern owners, where government officials and where the British um, officials and British troops uh, would all be uh, located. As a result of the um, kind of diverse population living within these um, seaports, there was the potential for anti-British sentiment to um, occur um, in places like Boston or New York because this is where some of the um, colonists really felt the, the pressures of, of, of kind of British government and British interference. So, governors of colonies would um, often find themselves at odds with the colonial legislators, which again were often based in seaports, who accused governors of certain, um, or on certain occasions, of um, behaving in ways that were not necessarily benefit uh, or beneficial to the um, American people. And therefore, some um, governors were accused of acting in a tyrannical way. So again, during this pre-1763 period, there were tensions that existed within the colonies in regards to the relationship between the motherland, Britain, and the, the 13 um, colonies. Now, whether or not these factors are enough to kind of lay the foundations for independence is something that we will have to try and determine. It should be noted, uh, however, that all, um, pretty much all Americans in the 1760s regarded themselves as British. They might complain about the Navigation Acts, but they had a guarantee of markets for their produce. They may have complained about tyrannical governors, but Americans were some of the freest people on earth um, at this point in history. So before we begin to examine events post-1763, we need to introduce um, American Revolution historiography. So what have historians said about the reasons for the desire for American independence? If you decide to answer an essay question on this topic, you will need to read the works of historian Bernard Balin and the historian Howard Zinn. Balin argues, this is a very brief summation, Balin argues that Americans sought independence because their liberties and freedoms had been threatened on numerous occasions in the 1760s and 1770s. So in order to maintain their freedom and their kind of... Um, attempts or attempts over the years to ensure that they govern themselves to make um, make it clear that they um, wanted to maintain and continue to govern themselves then they decided the only way they can achieve that is to um, declare independence because post-1763 there is more and more British interference in American colonial affairs. So that is the view of, um, of Balin. Zinn, however, argues that, argues that American elites 
drove the campaign for independence because they wanted full control of the American economy. So it was maybe a shift away from the idea of liberty and freedom and governance and what Zen is saying is it was about controlling the very lucrative trade um, that the um, colonies had, had built up over the years. So, during the um, period when you, you start to kind of think about this essay and if you're going to write about this essay, you will have to complete um, online um, my site activities where you will um, learn all about these different historians and um, you'll find um, much more detail on Zinn's views and much more detail on Balin's views. During the Seven Years' War against the French, the 13 American colonies played a crucial role in ensuring a British victory. Why then, only 13 years later, were the colonies at war with Britain, having decided that they wanted to go it alone as an independent nation? Up until 1763, the British had adopted a method of colonial governance that Benjamin Franklin referred to as benign neglect. What did this approach entail? As the term suggests, the colonies had for most of the 18th century been left to their own devices with the British interfering only to protect them. So this was a good deal for the colonies. They were governing themselves, but they had this larger protection, if you like, from the British um, army or from the British navy. And many of these, uh, or most of these Americans, were proud to be British because they had what they believed to be that the best of the British values. Um, you know, they were Protestant, they had um, a democratic system in place um, rather than an aristocratic system, which you got in some continental European countries. So that was um, the benign neglect that had allowed, for most part, the um, relationship between Britain and the colonies to, to flourish uh, in some respects. So what happens? Well, um, this changes after the victory in the Seven Years' War in 1763. And the reasons, the main reason for this change in uh, British, um, I guess, uh, methods of, of, of managing the colonies is because of the cost of colonial administration had risen dramatically with the cost of the war with France. Um, this cost of the war um, eventually hit £60 million. And... Um, the administration of the colonies was working out as something like £350,000 um, per year. So the British government were, were paying a lot of money to keep the colonies and to protect the colonies. The British believed that it was only fair that the colonies paid their share of the financial burden. To address the economic shortfall, the British passed in 1764 the Sugar Act to raise money from the colonies that could pay for the expenses of British colonial, colonial administrators. And more and more administrators had arrived in the colonies with the, um, with the Seven Years' um, War. When this became knowledge, Sam Adams, a Boston radical, a key figure in the American Revolution, a founding father who maybe doesn't get the credit some of the other founding fathers get, Sam Adams made known his fears to the Massachusetts um, legislator, um, as well as to the public via um, newspapers, the Boston Newsletter and the New England Chronicle. He um, makes clear his, his, his real concerns about the purpose of this sugar 
tax. It was there to raise a revenue for British officials. Um, now, on my city, there are a collection of sources and a Word document that you should um, now access. And I would like you to read source one. And um, this first source is um, a letter from um, Samuel Adams. And Adams' main concern, if you pause and have a look at it, is that a tax on sugar could be the beginning of a tax on other aspects of colonial life. Adams regards himself as, regards himself as British and thus um, therefore demands the same rights as Britons living in the motherland. So, um, I guess this raises a question, could Britain tax the colonies when the colonies had no representation in the British Parliament? wasn't practical for the colonies to return MPs to the British Parliament. Distance obviously was too vast. Adams argued that only the Massachusetts legislature could tax the people of Massachusetts. For whatever reason, the Sugar Act did not necessarily um, arouse the consciousness of the colonists, did not lead to too much anger, did not lead to any violence. Um, however, in 1765, the Stamp Act, another piece of British legislation that had the intention of raising a revenue, did. And the Stamp Act is often seen by historians as being the beginnings of the American desire for independence. Okay, let's um, just pause for a second here and, um, and kind of touch on who would be affected by this Stamp Act. Well, the argument that many historians who you will see in the video clips on my city argue is that it affected all sections of society, from radicals to elites to landowners to farmers to sailors. All of these groups would be affected by this piece of uh, British legislation. And even though these groups wouldn't normally have much in common, we see the beginnings of some type of common bond based around a kind of sense of anti-Britishness that begins with this Stamp Act in 1865. Um, OK, the um, Stamp Act was an act for granting and applying certain stamp duties in the British colonies and plantations in America towards, and this is the exact terms in the Stamp Act legislation, towards further defraying the expenses of defending, protecting um, and securing the, the colonies. The video clip um, in Activity 4 of Chapter 2, um, American Revolution Online Book, provides an excellent summary of the um, American response to the Stamp Act. And you should definitely watch this. These disparate groups that I mentioned um, kind of were forced to come together to ensure that the Stamp Act would not be upheld. So that meant the most unruly elements within Boston and the most wealthy elements within Boston. Why? What could um, convince rope makers um, um, that they should side with lawyers? And what would convince lawyers that they had something in common with merchants? And merchants, what would they have in common with tavern owners? Was it simply a feeling that the British were unfairly treating each colony. Was there now, or was there a sense, that it was not the taxes that were the issue, but it was the power that the British um, believed that they had over the colonies 
to impose the stamp tax. Thomas Hutchison, who would uh, later on become the governor of Massachusetts at the height of the independence crisis, did not believe that the 13 colonies had enough in common to come together. So let alone just the different social classes might not come together, Hutchison thinks that the 13 different colonies couldn't come together to um, draft some type of united opposition um, to the Stamp Act. Now, he was re- correct in, in some respects, um, because all 13 didn't come together, but nine did. Nine of the 13 colonies did meet at a Stamp Act Congress that took place in New York City. And again, Sam Adams was critical to this taking place. So grievances were um, listed at the Stamp Act Congress. They were sent to Parliament and the Stamp Act was eventually repealed in 1766. Had the British, to some extent, learned that it was unwise to tax the colonies? And maybe, um, was it um, possible that you know, now things could return back to some type of normality, especially as the crowds during the Stamp Act um, crisis made very clear what they thought was the main issue, and that really was their slogan during the crisis, which was no taxation without representation. Would the British accept that without taxation, sorry, without representation, taxation could not take place in the colonies? Only the colonial legislators could make that decision to impose taxes. Now, um, it was not um, necessarily um, the beginning, if you like, of the American Revolution, but we might find the seeds of some type of anti-British sentiment um, at at, at this point, um, because the British are accused of tyrannical behaviour at this point. Now, on the same day that the Stamp Act was um, repealed, the British government passed the Declaratory Act, making clear that the colonies in America were um, subordinate to um, the King and, and, and Parliament. So, British arrogance carries on. The British, um, you know, still want to make clear that they... Um, control the colonies. They want to make sure um, that the colonies are very much aware of the dominant relationship that is um, exists with the colonies, um, you know, subject to what Parliament and the King say. What the Declaratory Act probably does is it probably pushes the colonies further away from the British Empire. The historian Bernard Balin, who I mentioned earlier, argues that the actions of the British in the years prior to the Declaration of Independence, were a deliberate assault on American liberties. Colonists may have come to such an opinion themselves when in 1767 a new set of taxes was imposed upon the colonies, known as the Townsend Acts, named after Charles Townsend, the British Chancellor of the Exchequer. The revenues to be gathered from glass, lead, paper and tea were to pay the salaries of British officials once again, in the eyes of men such as Samuel Adams and John Dickinson, diminishing the power of colonial assemblies. If the British Parliament was deciding um, what should basically be done and money, how money should be raised um, in the colonies, then what really were the purpose of these colonial legislators? 
Um, source 3 and Source um, 4 highlight the kind of impassioned but non-violent responses in Massachusetts and in Connecticut to the Townsend Acts. John Dixon also wrote with great clarity in the Pennsylvania Gazette a series of letters which came to be known as A Farmer's Letters, even though Dickinson was more than just a farmer, he was a very educated man. These farmer's letters outlined in a rational tone why the Townsend Acts had to be challenged. Um, and why, I guess, they had to, or why the colonists had to take a, a clear course of action. And this clear course of action would be the... Um, intention to boycott British goods. Now the word boycott was not used at the time because that word was yet to be established but what we do get are non-importation agreements and that is just the old-fashioned way of saying boycotts. Um, and on my city you can read um, some of Dickinson's letters. Um, there is a link on my city under the American Revolution section and these letters would be very useful in an essay on this topic as they probably are um, likely to support the arguments of the historian Bernard Balin. Dickinson's letters were um, popular and were published in newspapers across the colonies and perhaps in a small way they brought the colonies closer together behind a single cause. So anti-British sentiment was the outcome of um, what were believed to be intentional um, if we go back to Balin's argument, intentional attempts by the, the British to um, impose policies and taxes um, on the colonies. The deliberate part is an interesting phrase from Balin, and I will come back to it in the second part of the um, podcast on the American Revolution. The final event I want to refer to in part one of this podcast is what we call the Liberty Incident involving Boston, very wealthy Boston merchant John Hancock. Um, now I won't run through all this in, in too much detail, again you can find more of this information on my city. Hancock's boat, the Liberty, was seized by British customs officials on June 10th, uh, 1768, after it became apparent that Hancock had illegally smuggled cases of Madeira wine from the boat to avoid paying um, taxes. As the boat was um, seized by the, um, the the customs officials, the Sons of Liberty incited a crowd at Boston Port who went on to destroy the customs officials' building as well as a British customs officials' boat. The response of the British government to this violence was to send to Boston 4,000 British soldiers. These were soldiers who consumed large quantities of rum, large quantities of um, prostitutes, neither of which went down well with the Puritan population of Boston. So, unfair taxes, the increase in British officials within the colonies, threats to colonial democracy with colonial legislators being bypassed and now a standing army in Boston. Would the relationship between Britain and the colonies improve in the 1770s 
Was there in the 1760s any evidence to suggest that the colonies would favour independence? We will continue this story in part two. But for now, thank you.